so the plan is between this morning and this evening, we're going to finish going through the statement of faith. And then tonight, after I finish the teaching, we're going to call a business meeting and we're going to approve the church constitution. And um, one of the changes that's been made in it is that uh, for the future, the only way that we can change this church constitution is with a three-quarters majority vote at a meeting called for that. Why is that? If someone came and was able to persuade half the congregation about some false doctrine, we don't want the doctrine of the church to change. Amen? And I just believe that if we continue teaching the Word of God, that God's people will stand for the truth in perpetuity. So there are only a few things that you have to stay right on in order to have a New Testament church. Number one, you have to have a Bible. Amen? You have to have a Bible. And so this Bible, the King James Bible, is our authority at Grace Baptist Church. Jim Alter's not the authority. The Bible is the authority under the headship of Jesus Christ. You stay right on the Bible. That's a good starting point, isn't it? So you stay right on the Bible. Then you stay right on what a church is. That's what we're looking at this morning, the first part. What, what is a church? You need to know what a church is. And then number three, you stay right on right division, dispensationalism. You interpret the Bible literally and you rightly divide the word of truth, you'll stay right. Everything else will, start, will fall into place. Your missions program will fall into place. Your Sunday school, the way what you teach your children, how you do discipleship, all of that, your outreach, evangelism, everything will stay right if you stay right on the Bible, you stay right on what a church is, and you stay right on right division. That's the heartbeat. That's the foundation of our statement of faith. And those are the things that we are emphasizing. Now, here's the good news. I have, I have amazing hope for what God is going to do in the future through Grace Baptist Church. Now, it would be better if Jesus returned today. Amen? Even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Man, just such a wonderful thing to see his face. That would, that, that's our hope, isn't it? That's our hope. That's the blessed hope of the glorious appearing of the great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. But if he doesn't return, what if he doesn't return for another 500 years? How cool would it be if Grace Baptist Church is still right 500 years from now? Do you know what can be? I know some people are thinking because you've been influenced by multiculturalism and all the egalitarianism of our culture, you believe that you're right? Yes. I do. On these things that we're talking about, we're right. Amen? Some of the stuff Eric's talking about, we're not sure about. <laughs> On this stuff, we're right. We're right. And I've got to come. I want to hear what Eric's doing because I love that stuff. And that, that wasn't a just throw him a bone. I love this stuff. He, a while back, he was asking me some questions. I said, Eric, you're past me on this. I need to hear from you on this. So I'm excited about what's going on there. But he would even tell you that some of the stuff, gap theory and all that stuff, it's, it's great to talk about. Personally, I believe it. Um, but if you've noticed, that's not something we're emphasizing in the doctrinal statement from Grace Baptist Church. These are things that we can all agree on. This is the faith once delivered to the saints. This is who we are. Now, the goal behind all of this is not for us to be right. It's not a pharisaical thing, I know more than you do. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth, the Bible says. And so the purpose behind this is so that we're, that we are right doctrinally so that we can take it out there 
We've got so much work to do in our community. We have so many people to lead to Christ. We have so many families that need to be restored. We have so many broken lives that need to be rescued. But it has to be rescued with the truth. Compromising the truth doesn't help people. And yet, beating them over the head with the truth doesn't help them either. The purpose of this is for us to be right so that we can go out and do ministry right. That's the heartbeat behind it. So look at page 6. Page 6. We're at number four. We're talking about what a church is. We believe that the two ordinances of the local church are baptism and the Lord's Supper. Ordinances to get the ordinances together were given to the church to establish and maintain a pure body of believers. Ordinances. An ordinance is something that was ordered by the Lord. At my ordination, right up there in the office 24 years ago, Keith Kaiser, my, my Bible professor, did the questioning with the pastors. So it was Dave McCracken and my father and Mark Rasmussen and Steve Clayton and Larry Clayton and just a, a great group of preachers. And so when Brother Kaiser asked me what the ordinances are, I told him, I basically gave this statement. Um, what I did, I knew he was going to be questioning, so I memorized my Bible doctrine's notes. So every question that he asked me, I gave him back his exact words and that's a good way to pass. Young people, that's a good way to pass. But he tricked me. He said, what are the ordinances? And I said, baptism and the Lord's Supper. He said, what's an ordinance? I said, something ordered by the Lord. He said, why isn't foot washing an ordinance? I said, because Jesus didn't order it to be done. And he said, what about John chapter? And we went there and Jesus commanded them to wash each other's feet. So why isn't that an ordinance? I said, you know, because I'm, I'm, I'm a man of God. I'm, I'm very mature in the faith and I don't know. And he said, because it wasn't reiterated and ordered to be done in the churches, in the church epistles by the Apostle Paul. Isn't that good? Dave McCracken said, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> you liar, you were not going to say that. So these ordinances, they're very specific. There's only two things that God gave us as pictures to the world of who we are. Baptism and the Lord's Supper. And they're very important. Now, really important question. But now, now, I want you to answer. Are these necessary for salvation? No. If you add them to salvation, now you no longer have a gospel. You have, according to Galatians 1, another gospel, which is not another. It's not the gospel. So the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. You place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life, and you get to go to heaven. Jesus is your Savior. You're a new creature in Christ. Repentance toward God and faith toward Jesus Christ. That's the gospel. But that doesn't mean the ordinances are unimportant. See, salvation, I'm sorry, the gospel is for salvation. The ordinances are for the church. All right? So once you're saved, the ordinances become very important. So we believe that the two ordinances of the local church are baptism and the Lord's Supper. The ordinances together were given to the church to establish and maintain a pure body of believers. How many of you care about, the, the seriously, the holiness of the church, the purity of the church? Definitely. How many of you, when you say that out loud, it's kind of convicting? Yeah. Um, I, I mentioned in our Sunday school class, the, the best class in Grace Baptist Church, um, I mentioned that, I haven't said that in a while, Tom, where are you? It's, yes, yeah. Um, 
So I was watching Dennis Prager this morning. I think it's his latest fireside chat. And somebody asked him about how does he experience God. And as an Orthodox Jew, he said, I fear God. He didn't say obey, but that's kind of what he was talking about. That's his relationship with God. He said, but, but I struggle with loving him. I, it's hard for me to love a God when there's so much suffering in the world. And it was so convicting to me that I know Jesus Christ. I know that I'm born again. I know the God of the ages. I know he loves me. And yet I realized this morning, as Dennis Prager said that, that as one who ought to know Christ, that I don't know him well enough. I don't experience him enough through his word. I don't love him as as uh, passionately as I ought to. Just hearing him say something wrong convicted me. When we talk about the holiness of this body and that this church will only be as holy as I am, as you are, all of a sudden that puts some pressure on us, doesn't it? And that's good. It ought to. It's like I would tell my kids when they would get ready to go out, uh, be nice to people and remember your name. That's what I'd always say to them. Be nice to people and remember your name. And they never did it. They were evil, terrible, awful people. But it's, we care about this place. That's what baptism and the Lord's Supper is about. That's what it's about. Baptism, you can't get baptized until you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch. Here's water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they both went down into the water and he baptized him. You can't get baptized until you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Baptism follows salvation. If you get that out of order, then you get the picture out of order. That baptism represents the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Did Jesus Was Jesus' death a sprinkling or was it an immersion? Did he enter fully into death? Yes. That's why immersion and resurrection is the picture. How many of you glad that when you were baptized, it didn't stop with immersion? Right? Some people want, want baptized to be translate immerse. There's another part to it. Raised to walk in newness of life. That's baptism. Amen? So the immersion is vital. That's the picture. But so is the resurrection. How many of you are glad Jesus rose from the dead? This is what baptism is. Baptism is obedience to the Lord's command. It's identification with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. But it's also identification with a body of doctrine. So in Acts chapter 19, let's look at it. Acts chapter 19. I'm going to go a little slower on these on, on these sec- this section right here, and then we're going to fly through some more. All right? So Acts chapter 19, verse 1. And it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples. Now, here's what we do. We read the word disciple, and we think disciples of Christ. They were not disciples of Christ. So notice what it says. Verse 2. He said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since ye believed? So now how many of you received the Holy Ghost when you believed? Any of you? Right? If you're not sure, that's okay. You don't have to understand pneumatology 
that's the doctrine of the Holy Spirit in order to get saved. How many of you are glad you don't have to? How many of you do not know the word pneumatology? So it's good that you don't have to know that. All right? But that's not the question. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. Now, here's why this is so important. This is why Pentecost was so important. If you don't have the Holy Ghost, you're not saved. This is why we're not charismatics. We're not Pentecostals. If you believe you get the Holy Spirit after salvation, that's not biblical doctrine. There are saved people who believe that. Did you all hear what I just said? There are saved people who believe that you get the Holy Spirit later because they've been taught wrongly. You don't have to believe that you get the Holy Spirit when you get saved to get saved. You have to believe the gospel of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But here's the problem. In reality, the fact is, you can't get saved without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit draws you. The Holy Spirit convinces you of sin. The Holy Spirit, when you believe, indwells you and baptizes you into the body of Jesus Christ. So, you can't get saved without the Holy Spirit. You just don't have to know that. As a church, we have to be right on that. Because if I say that Ethan is spiritual because he has the Holy Spirit. Sam obviously does not have the Holy Spirit. So he's not as spiritual. So you need, to, you need to really pray and really deny yourself and get the Holy Spirit. And when you get the Holy Spirit, you're going to say, and then pass out on the floor. If you don't do that, then you're not as spiritual as Ethan. Because Ethan does that stuff all the time. Are you guys impressed that I remembered your names right there? It was, it was shaky for a minute. This is, it's so important that we understand what's happening here in this text. So now, look at what it says. Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed, verse 2? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? Isn't that interesting? Isn't that a weird question to follow that up? Here's why that's a weird question to us. We don't realize that baptism identifies us with teaching. What were you believing when you got baptized? That's the question. That's the question. Notice what it says. And they said unto John's baptism. So Baptists, that's short for Anabaptist, which means baptize again, rebaptize. That's what we've always been known for. We rebaptize, And that makes people mad. Are you saying my baptism wasn't good enough? Yes. Especially if it was infant baptism. That's not baptism. That's just a wet baby. That's not baptism. That's not even rebaptism. That's just baptism. If you identified with false doctrine in your immersion after salvation, now we're going to rebaptize you when you identify with right doctrine. So notice notice how this works. I want you to see this. It's pretty interesting. So his first question to them was, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Why? Because there was a transition point in the age, in the dispensation. The Holy Spirit came, everything changed, right? Pentecost. Everything changed after Pentecost. Remember the Apostle Peter, he, would, he had preached the gospel to Gentiles, to Cornelius and his Italian band, Right? Oompa, 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 the Italian band. And so he, he, he preached the gospel to them. The other, uh, d- the other disciples get mad at him. What are you doing talking to these Gentiles? He said the Holy Ghost fell on them as he did on us at the beginning. 
Something began at Pentecost. What is that? The church age began at Pentecost. It began with Christ. The church began with Christ, was empowered at Pentecost. Then it was ordered, structured, and propagated under the Apostle Paul. Hence, no foot washing. Now, I do hope you wash your feet. We're just not doing it here. So, look at how this works. You all feel like you're drinking from a fire hose right now. Got a lot of material to get through. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily, truly, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. John the Baptist's message was the Messiah is here. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Your Messiah is here. Christ. Christ is Messiah. That's what it means. That was John's message. That's not our message. The Messiah is not here, but he is coming. Our message is the death, burial, and resurrection. So now, notice what it says. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. See, we don't worship the Messiah. We worship the Lord. We're not Jewish. He's not our Messiah. I know that's freaking some of you out. That's okay. He's our Lord. Amen? And we're going to rule and reign with him when he comes and sits on his throne for a thousand years. Praise God for that. Okay? So baptism, it is obedience to the Lord's command. It's identification with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. It also identifies you with a local church and with that church's teaching, with that church's doctrine. So, Ty comes to the church and... Come up here, Ty. I want everybody to see your pretty Charles Darwin face. (laughs) It is, isn't it? It's hilarious. So, you want to come to our church? So, uh, make something up. What's your church background? Methodist. Unto what then were you baptized? Methods. Some methods. <laughs> he was baptized in the Methodist church believing Methodist doctrine. Thank you. You can be seated. Wasn't that helpful? So when I the first time I did the Why Baptist series here at Grace Baptist, this is one of my favorite stories. Um, I was just going to do the first one or two of our Baptist distinctives. But Maureen had her happy hands club or drama thing that she was doing. I always think of Napoleon Dynamite with that. And she said, we'd like to practice in front of an audience. Could we do that on a Sunday night? I said, sure, we're still going to have preaching, but I'd love to see the stuff. I, I forgot that a lot of other churches don't have Sunday night services, and it was from the Christian school. So we had people from the Methodist church, Lutheran church, a couple of different pastors here. When I'm starting the Baptist Distinctives, and so I just felt impressed of the Holy Spirit to teach them all that night. And so I went through the Baptist distinctives, and I was standing at the back of the old auditorium, and this Methodist pastor was here for that. I'm sure a wonderful man, but he was kind of mad. And so I'm back there shaking hands, and he came up to me, and he said, I want you to know, he was really mad. I don't agree with everything you said tonight. And I just smiled at him, and I said, if you did, then you'd be Baptist. I promise, I said this. Did you see the sign out front? It says Grace Baptist Church. If I went to your church, I hope I would hear what you believe. How many of you think that's fair? 
Is that fair? How many of you know that we believe something different? It's, it, it's such an interesting thing. And here's the deal. That pastor knew that what I was saying was different from what he believes. And yet, I'm sure there are people in the room here that don't think it's different. It's different. <laughs> and so, if you have identified, just for example, since, since Ty brought it up, the Methodist faith, man, some of the greatest revivals in the history of the United States were under Methodist preachers. Sam Jones, an amazing Methodist preacher. His brother, Joe B. Jones, was a Baptist evangelist who would always try to persuade his brother what the Bible said, and his brother never submitted to the Scriptures. They disagreed. And so here's the deal. If you have identified with Methodist doctrine, and that's who you are, then you probably shouldn't join Grace Baptist Church. If you enjoy my amazing, profound humor. <laughs> then come to Grace Baptist Church and just enjoy it. You can't be a member. If you don't agree with us doctrinally, then you can't be a member of Grace Baptist Church. Look at 1 Corinthians 1 with me. Verse 9, <clears throat> God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing. It's interesting, isn't it? And that there be some divisions among you. Is that what it says? What does it say? No divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same, what's that last word? Judgment. So let me give you some examples since we're using Methodism. Again, praise God for all the Methodists that are saved and we're going to be in heaven with them. Praise God for that. Now, the old school Methodist John Wesley, who wasn't a Methodist, he was an Anglican. He's buried in an Anglican cemetery. The people that followed him followed his methods. And that's where the term Methodist comes from. They were using John Wesley's methods. John Wesley believed in sinless perfection. How are you doing with that? John Wesley believed in uh, that you can lose your salvation. We don't believe that. John Wesley believed in infant baptism. We don't believe that. John Wesley preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord for that. Praise the Lord for everybody that got saved. I'm glad that he's in heaven. Praise God that John Wesley's in heaven. And Charles Wesley, the great hymns that they wrote, we appreciate that very much. But we don't speak the same thing. And our judgment on them is that they're wrong because they violate Scripture. If any man saith he hath, hath no sin, he's a liar, and the truth is not in him. But so the Bible says, so I'm going to believe the Bible, and I'm going to judge Wesleyanism the Nazarenes, the Pentecostals that came out of the Nazarenes, we're going to judge their doctrine as in error, and we're all going to speak the same thing about that. That's, that's what I'm talking about. Your baptism identifies you with a body of doctrine. Unto what then were you baptized? That's why baptism is so important. Now, listen. So, I've done a little work in church history. I, I've, I've tried to figure some of this stuff out to help people with it. 
And this is one of the areas that over the last hundred years, since the, the beginning of the fundamentalist movement, which I'm not going to spend any time describing this morning, but late 1800s, early 1900s, when the, the major denominations were turning liberal, that is denying the deity of Christ, the virgin birth, the, the, the visible bodily resurrection of Jesus Christ, the return of Christ to the earth, miracles, when, when they started denying those things, the, these group, this group of people from all different denominations came out of those denominations, and they started Bible churches, non-denominational churches. Later on came interdenominational churches, which doesn't make any sense at all. But the, so in, in, during that time, now baptism was diminished in its significance. The, the teaching, the biblical teaching on the Lord's Supper, that was diminished. Now you have people that go to Israel and they get baptized in the Jordan River. You can go anywhere and take communion with people because it's a it's a it's the fellowship of the believers. Well, the Bible says that communion is between us and the Lord, not between me and you. And it's about discipline, which we're going to see in a minute. That, that's the point. It's to show the world and to make sure that we have a pure body. And if you're not right with God, then you're excommunicated. You can't take communion. Right? Isn't that, isn't that what the Catholic Church is trying to do? A bunch of them are trying to do to Joe Biden right now? That, that's what it's always meant. That's what it means. And so these things, baptism, it is, it is obedience, it's identification with the Lord Jesus Christ, with a local church, and with what that church teaches. That's what baptism is. But it's also submission. It's submission. And this has been the statement for as long as writing has been made on Christianity. Believers, when people who practice believer's baptism, you submit to the Lord in believer's baptism. Isn't that exactly the way that it's said? You submit to the Lord in believer's baptism. It's submission. You're never more submissive to a pastor than when he's baptizing you. You understand the power that I have in that moment? <laughs> submission. It's submission. It's vital. But you're not only submitting to the pastor, which of course is, is biblical. I'm not going to go into that tonight or this morning. But that's biblical. But it's submitting ourselves, according to Ephesians 5, one to another. What you're saying, when you join a, a New Testament church... You're saying, I'm going to submit to that church's teaching and to those people and their authority in my life. So what authority does Dan New have over Jim McDermott? What authority is it? Only the authority that Jim gives him, which is the authority to hold him accountable. Amen? That's what we're doing. We pray, for, we bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Uh, if you see a brother, in, brethren, if you see a man overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Is that what it says? But man, if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, it's vain. It's empty. And so baptism church membership if you've been baptized in a church of like faith and practice when you come to grace baptist you're saying okay i'm in i'm in uh, i'm going to submit to the membership i'm going to submit to the pastor i'm going to submit to the doctrines and dictates of grace baptist church that's what i'm willing to do that i'm willing to be held accountable and i'm committing to hold others accountable i'm committing to being responsible for Grace Baptist Church because we are members one of another. Amen? 
That's what it is. That's why baptism is so important. It's so much more important than people think. The, the statement is that baptism is a picture of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Well, that's true, but that's like saying Michael Jordan could dribble. A little more to it than that. Would you all agree? A little more to it. And so that's that the doctrine of baptism is vital. Now let's go on. The Lord's Supper. Letter B. The Lord's Supper was then given to the local church to maintain the purity of it. The Bible instructs that we remember his sacrificial death on the cross by taking the bread, which signifies his broken body, and the cup to signify his shed blood. Now, have you all ever noticed we don't use fermented wine in the Lord's Supper? Because, you know, fermentation is corruption. How many of you know that's what the Bible calls it? It's corruption. Was Jesus' blood corrupted? No. No. And so, the, that's, and if you notice, the Bible says the cup. That's the word the Bible uses. The Lord's Supper was then given to the local church to maintain the purity of it. The Bible instructs that we remember his sacrificial death on the cross by taking the bread, which signifies his broken body, and the cup to signify his shed blood. Notice what we say here. This closed communion of the local church provides for repentance of heart, unity of the believers, preservation of doctrine, and church discipline. Neither of the ordinances provide or solidify salvation, nor do they convey grace. That's the difference between an ordinance and a sacrament. It doesn't convey grace. Now, I'm just going to speak briefly about the closed communion topic. How many of you know that that's controversial? Right? That's controversial. Um, the only reason it's controversial is because as a result of the fundamentalist movement, churches lost their doctrinal distinctives. And what happened was groups of believers wanted to come together and act like a church without functioning under the authority of a church. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5. The Lord's Supper has always been only for church members. The problem comes with... Now, how many of you know that the Roman Catholic system... Now, and if you are a Roman Catholic, we love you. We're glad that you're here. But just as I described Methodist doctrine is different from our doctrine, Roman Catholic doctrine is different from our doctrine. The Roman Catholic priest would be happy to tell you that their doctrine is different than our doctrine. Amen? So the Roman Catholic teaching on the Lord's Supper, or what they would call communion or the Eucharist, it has colored and really corrupted people's thinking on it. The Bible says Jesus Christ tasted death for every man, but that he did it once. Once for all. Once for all. Now, in the Roman Catholic system, he sheds his blood every time the Mass is said. How many of you know that? That that, that wafer actually turns into Christ's body. Remember the story in uh, Florida a few years ago, a kid went and stole the blessed host, and the priest wanted him arrested for kidnapping. I'm not kidding. Because that is Jesus. That's what they believe. That that is his body. No, it's not. First, look, can we look at it? First Corinthians 11. We'll come back to First Corinthians 5. Verse 26. For as often 
as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do repeat the Lord's death till he come. What's it say? Show. You show it. You're demonstrating it. You're showing it. That's it. That's what you're doing. Jesus is not dying again. He did it once and it was enough. Praise the Lord for that. Now go back to 1 Corinthians 5. So what happened was in the Roman Catholic system, if, if you're not taking communion as a member of the only church, the only visible church on earth, then you can't go to heaven. How many of you know that? Right? That's why you give last rites. That, that's that whole system. So if you're excommunicated, you're not allowed to take communion. They're actually taking your salvation from you. That's the control that they have over people. They're taking their salvation. How many of you saw? Now, I don't watch The View because I don't want to kill myself. But I was watching um, on YouTube this Megan McCain talking about um, abortion. How many of you saw that? Any of you see that? And she's saying that, that Joe Biden is endangering his soul by his stance on abortion. And if he can't take communion, he's endangering his soul. No, he's endangering his soul by being Catholic. He's endangering his soul by not placing his faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for his eternal life. See? So the teaching on... And so here's what happened. People reacted to that, and they said, Lord, Supper's for everybody. Anybody that wants to take communion, just take communion. Well, that's not biblical either. You better examine yourself before you take the Lord's Supper. Because if you take it unworthily, you might die. Some sleep. Some are sick. Some sleep. Because they're taking the Lord's Supper unworthily. What does it mean to take it worthily? If you're worthy of Jesus Christ's sacrifice, stand up. Don't Please don't stand up. Are any of us worthy of what he did for us? That's what grace means. Unmerited favor. So what is the purpose of the Lord's Supper? We show his death till he comes, but you got to examine yourself to make sure that there's not sin, that you're right with God. But go back to 1 Corinthians 5. How many of you know 1 Corinthians 5 comes before 1 Corinthians 11? How many of you can figure that out without Bible college? Okay, go back to 1 Corinthians 5. Verse 1, it is reported commonly that there is fornication among you and such fornication as is not so much as named among the Gentiles that one should have his father's wife. So just horrible immorality. And you are puffed up and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. So how many of you know that what's being described there is not good? So that would be, you know, very similar to our church saying, oh, homosexuality is okay. You're welcome here. I'll bless that marriage. That's fine. See, right? Not only are you not mourning, you are, you're celebrating it. I want to know when these big businesses are going to have conservative Christian month. When is that happening? Celebrating immorality, wickedness, abomination, debauchery, things that destroy those people. We love these people. They need to be saved. They need to be saved. They need Christ. That lifestyle will kill them. It's horrible. It's destructive. We love them. They need the gospel of Jesus Christ. We don't celebrate the sin. Let's have, let's have thieving month. 
Let's have adultery month. Right? That's what's happening here. How many of you know that churches are celebrating pride? Yeah. Methodist churches. Presbyterian churches. Anglican churches. Episcopal churches. Baptist churches. It's filthy. It's filthy. And that's what Paul's addressing, is that kind of attitude. Notice what it says. And ye are puffed up, and have not rather mourned that he that hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. For I verily as absent in body, but present in spirit, have judged already as though I were present concerning him that hath done that hath so done this deed. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, when ye are gathered together, and my spirit with the power of our Lord Jesus Christ to deliver such an one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that the spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. So now, how are we turning that person over for the destruction of the flesh? So let's say that Chad is living in sin, and I'm going to turn him over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. Am I taking his salvation away? See, if I believe that church membership is salvation, then me removing him from church membership is taking his salvation. No. I'm removing him from the rights and privileges of church membership. And one of those is the Lord's Supper. The church doesn't have feasts. Feast of Pentecost, the, the, the Day of Atonement, the, all, all those, those seven Jewish feasts. We don't have feasts. We have the Lord's Supper, and we have baptism. Is that right? Now, sometimes our dinner after church feels like a feast, but it's a different thing. Notice what it says here. Verse 6, your glorying is not good. Glorying in what? Oh, they're so forgiving, they're so loving, they're endorsing the sin. They're glorying in their bad behavior. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? You're corrupting the whole church. Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Therefore, let us keep the feast. What's he talking about? Not the Passover feast, the Lord's Supper. Jesus Christ implemented the Lord's Supper at the Passover. Are y'all with me? Y'all following me? Okay. Therefore, let us keep the feast, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote unto you in an epistle not to company with fornicators, yet not altogether with the fornicators of this world or with the coveters or extortioners or with idolaters, for then must ye needs go out of the world. In other words, none of us could ever go to a family reunion again. Right? I'm not saying, Paul says, I'm not saying you can never eat with a sinner. That's not what I'm saying. Notice what it says here. Verse 11. But now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man that's called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such an one know not to eat. Eat what? The feast. What feast do we have? The feast that was implemented at the Passover, the Lord's Supper. We have people here in the church, in our service today, that are not members of Grace Baptist Church. I don't know you. I don't know anything about you. I love you. I'm glad you're here. You have not submitted yourselves 
to the authority of Grace Baptist Church to where we can examine your life to make sure that we have a pure body. So if we had the Lord's Supper, which is why we do it in special services so people aren't embarrassed, you can't take the Lord's Supper here because we can't judge your life. You're not a member. The way that we keep a a pure body and a holy body is making sure that only our members can take the Lord's Supper. And then within that group, you examine yourself. That's what the Lord's Supper is. That's the biblical teaching on the Lord's Supper. I didn't make it up. I just read it out of 1 Corinthians chapter 5. So, middle of number 4. This closed communion of the local church provides for repentance of the heart, unity of the believers, preservation of doctrine, and church discipline. Neither of the ordinances provide or solidify salvation, nor do they convey grace. All right, number five. We believe that the church is a living spiritual body of which Christ is the head and in which all regenerated people that's born again in this dispensation, that's the church age, we talked about that a few weeks ago, are members. Those who are born again are baptized by the Holy Spirit with a spiritual baptism into the church, which is is his beloved body and bride. Why is that in there? There are Baptist churches that believe that there's no such thing as the body of Christ, that the only body of Christ is the local assembly. That's not us. I believe the body of Christ is actually the body of Christ. Amen? That's the body that was nailed to the tree. That's the body that was placed in the grave. That's the body that rose from the dead. That's the body that ascended to the right hand of the Father. And that's the body that we are baptized into when we are saved. Amen? Water baptism is a picture of that spiritual reality. It's a physical and visible picture of that spiritual reality. So you become a member of this body in the same way you become a member of his body. Baptism. Baptism of the Spirit into that body, water baptism following salvation into this body. All right? The local church is the only visible expression of the body of Christ on earth. And as such is a congregation of believers in the Lord Jesus Christ who have been scripturally baptized in water by immersion and are associated for worship, teaching, evangelism, edification, observance of the ordinances, and fellowship. The mission of the local church is to glorify God through discipleship, which is accomplished by evangelizing, baptizing, and teaching. The local church has the absolute right of self-government and is autonomous from the interference of extra-biblical, that's anything outside of a biblical office, parachurch, that's an organization, say, Campus Crusade for Christ or whatever, anything that's not under the local church, parachurch, or any other earthly hierarchy of individuals or organizations. We're autonomous from that. The officers of the local church are pastors, identified in Scripture by the terms elder, bishop, pastor, and teacher, and deacons. The local church is the center of God's program for this age. Amen? Church is important. That's why this, what we're doing here is so important. All right, separation. What do we teach about separation? Are you all doing okay? Everybody happy? All right. We believe in the threefold doctrine of separation. The first is the separation of the believer from all worldly practices that may dishonor Jesus Christ and contradict biblical instruction, or that might damage either the individual believer or his local assembly. How many of you know that there are behaviors that a Christian ought not enter into? Right? Have you noticed there's not a list here? Why? We believe in the priesthood of the believer. We, we believe, we really believe in individual soul liberty. I'm never going to knock on your door to see what... what I almost said uh, uh, video, videos you have. There, no one has videos anymore. 
What are you downloading? I'm not going to come and do, that's, that's between you and God. I'm going to preach the truth up here. You're going you're to behave as a believer. And if you are behaving in ways that bring reproach on the name of Christ, then we're going to come to you. We're going to follow Matthew chapter 18. We're going to talk to you if you refuse. We're going to take men and, and come to you. If you reject that, we're going to bring before the church. If you reject that, we'll remove you from membership. Amen? And what are those things? Immorality, adultery, fornication, drunkenness. Those are the things that that you're not allowed to do. Don't bring reproach on the cause of Christ. Don't hurt the name of Grace Baptist Church. All right, then. Next, the separation of the local church from all affiliation and fellowship with any individual, church, or other organization which denies in word or deed the word of God. So have you all noticed that we're not a part of citywide ministry things? Because the Bible says we're supposed to mark them and avoid them, not to get together with them. That's, that's called ecclesiastical or church separation. We'll do things with Troy Baptist Temple. We'll do things with Salina Baptist Temple. We'll do things with other churches that believe the way that we believe. But if somebody believes that women can be preachers, well, we can't minister with them because the Bible says, let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not the woman to teach nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. That's what the Bible says. That's the command. That's the command. So if a church disagrees with that, love you, I'm sure you're saved, great. What if they deny the Trinity? What if they deny the Godhead? We can't get together with them. That's the apostolic church. We can't do stuff with them. So if I get together with the Gideons, I get together with uh, any of those groups, I am endorsing people that have false doctrine. So we're just not going to do it. We're not going to do it. Am I thankful for every Bible the Gideons hand out? Praise God. Can I unite with them in ministry? I went to one Gideons meeting and I sat across from the apostolic pastor who does not believe in the, the Trinity. And a Methodist woman preacher got up and led everyone in prayer. And I was sitting there going, (laughs) I can't do it, man. I cannot be a part of what's going on in that situation. That's what this is talking about. Then, the separation of church and state, which is more accurately stated as the separation of the state from the church. Uh, I'm not going to go into it. We've done a ton of stuff on separation of church and state. Christians need to be involved in government. Amen? Government has nothing to do with Grace Baptist Church. What about the second advent of Christ? Now, if you have the old statement of faith, or I'm sorry, the one that we handed out originally, uh, I've cleaned that language up in here, and so I want you to see what we have. The second advent of Christ. We believe in the imminent, that means at any time, pre-tribulational rapture of the church. We believe there will be a seven-year tribulation period, the time of Jacob's trouble, during which God will pour out his wrath on the entire world. At the end of the tribulation, Christ will personally and visibly return with his saints to establish his 1,000-year messianic kingdom on earth. This kingdom was promised to the nation of Israel. That's what we believe about last days. So there's a group of people, a guy named Stephen Anderson, who teaches uh, what's called... uh, uh, post-trib, pre-wrath, that the tribulation's only three and a half years, that the first half isn't really the tribulation. They don't believe the Jews actually exist. They're very anti-Semitic. We're out on that. Israel, uh, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, that blindness in part has happened unto the Jews until the fullness of the Gentiles become in. God is not done with Israel, Romans eleven twenty-five. All right? What about the eternal state and the afterlife? The eternal state and the afterlife. We believe in the bodily resurrection of all men, the saved to eternal life and the unsaved to judgment and everlasting punishment. 
We believe that the souls of the saved are at death, absent from the body and present with the Lord, where in conscious bliss they await for the first resurrection, when the spirit, soul, and body are reunited to be glorified forever with the Lord. We believe that the... Now, how many of you know there's a whole lot of doctrinal teaching behind that statement? This is the boiling it down. Number three, we believe that the souls of unbelievers remain after death in conscious punishment and torment until when with soul and body reunited, they shall appear at the great white throne judgment and shall be cast into the lake of fire, not to be annihilated, but to be punished with an everlasting pain of fire and separation from the holiness, glory, power, and love of God. Now, don't turn your page yet. I want you to see something. When you see statements like not to be annihilated, if, you've, if you're not familiar with the topic, you might say, what? Annihilationism means that God torments you for a certain period of time and then you're done. You just disappear. Have you heard of John Stott, the Bible teacher Don, John Stott? That's what he believed. Um, the Barnes Notes commentary, sometimes in your Bible study program, you'll see Barnes Notes. That's what he believed. So that's a heresy. The Bible says that you're punished forever. Right? So that's why that is there. All right. Um, what, do, what do we believe about the devil? We believe that Satan was once perfect and enjoyed a tremendous honor as the covering cherub under the name of Lucifer, which means light bearer. His pride and ambition to be as God, however, caused him to fall from God's presence. As the result of his fall, he is now the deceptive prince of this world and power of the air and the unholy God of this world. Satan is man's great tempter, the enemy of Christ, the accuser of the saints, the father of lies, the author of all false religions, and chancellor of all powers of darkness. He is, however, destined for defeat at the hands of God's Son. Um, let's all change that. At the voice of God's Son. At the voice. Laura, will you help me remember to change that in the Master? Doesn't the Bible say that uh, it destroys him with the word of his mouth? Yeah, I love it. it, it it's, a big, it's a big fight for God, isn't it? We are not dualists. God's son and will be sentenced by God's judgment to an eternal hell and subsequent lake of fire, a place prepared for the devil and his angels. What do we believe about creation? We believe in the creation of the existing space-time universe and all its basic systems and kinds of organisms in the literal, I'm sorry, in the six literal days of the creation week and in the biblical record of primeval history. This includes the literal existence of Adam and Eve as the progenitors of all people, the literal fall and resultant divine curse on creation, and the worldwide cataclysmic flood and the origin of the nations and languages of the Tower of Babel. Now, I don't have time to go into it this morning, but understand that when we say we believe in a literal six-day creation and in a literal Adam and Eve, that guys like um, William Lane Craig, William Lane Craig believes in some kind of myth situation. He believes that Adam and Eve were some kind of pre-human form, not Neanderthal, but something like that. And they lived 750,000 years B.C. No. Amen? That's what we believe. Now, we have the discussions about the gap and how all of that worked. Everything that lives, everything that is, according to the Word of God, was created in six literal days. Amen? Okay. 
Then, um, civil government. We believe that God has ordained and created all authority consisting of three basic institutions, the home, the church, and the state. Every person is subject to these authorities, but all, including the authorities themselves, are answerable to God and governed by his word. The home, the church, and human government all are, are all under the sovereignty and authority of God. Amen? That was weak. Amen? Is your home under the authority of God? I hope so. So, so they are answerable to God and governed by his word. God has given each institution specific biblical responsibilities and balanced those responsibilities with the understanding that no institution has the right to infringe upon the other. The home, the church, and the state are equal and sovereign in their respective and assigned spheres of responsibility under God. There was a question about the use of the word sovereign. We're not talking about the sovereignty in salvation, according to the Calvinists, is a completely different conversation than this. The government's in charge of the government under God. That's what sovereign means. The home is a distinct unit before God, regardless of the church or the government. That's the use of that word sovereign there. We do not believe in this artificial sovereignty of God, whereby God ordained through one all-encompassing decree everything that would ever happen. The Bible does not teach that. Amen? That Calvinistic view of sovereignty is completely extra-biblical. It's outside of the Bible and imposed on it through Greek philosophy, Augustine, and Calvin. All right? Um... We believe, this is a really important statement, this, this sentence. We believe that we must obey the state unless it requires us to act contrary to our faith, at which time we must obey God rather than the state. Amen? Okay, everybody wake up here for just a second. I've got to tell you this. Vital. Vital. How many of you have heard, we need to wear masks because we need to submit to every ordinance of man? How many of you have heard some Christians say that? Have you heard some Christians say that? Okay, here's what you need to have in your head when they say that. Bless your heart. Which being interpreted as, you're an idiot. I know that's harsh. You've got to think through this. What system of government has God given us the stewardship of? A constitutional republic. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. So what are we supposed to do? We are supposed to defend the Constitution. Do we have any police officers here? You're supposed to defend the Constitution. Any military people here? Do you take an oath to defend the Constitution? So any unlawful order is no order at all. Is that right? Basic understanding. So if you are required by a, a, a local, state, or federal ordinance to do something that violates the Constitution, if you obey that ordinance, you are disobeying Romans 13 because it is your job in our constitutional republic to, under the word of God, defend the Constitution. So by obeying an unlawful ordinance, you are disobeying God. How many of you hear what I'm saying right now? Why will no one say this? How many of you know that if the government tells us we can't have church, we must obey God rather than man? What does the First Amendment say? Is the First Amendment in the Constitution? Is, is it, you're not sure. <laughs> you can't help me. <laughs> is the First Amendment in the Constitution? 
Here, do this. It'll help me. Do that. Okay. So if government says you can't do what the Constitution says, they have no authority. If you obey them, you're disobeying the Constitution, and you are certainly disobeying God. Amen? Man. Amen? A little bit more. Amen? We're going to obey God. It's going to get worse. It's going to get worse. Who knows what Joe Biden's going to do next? Who knows what Kamala Harris is going to do? Who knows what those demons, Nancy Pelosi, and just these demonic, evil people that are in our government, satanic, satanic, evil, evil people that hate you, that hate God, that hate all of our liberties, that hate our Constitution. Who knows what they're going to do? I know what we're going to do. Grace Baptist Church is going to obey God rather than man. And we're going to pray that God will either save them or kill them. We're not going to do anything to them other than vote. Amen? We're not going to take up arms against our government. We're not going to do that. We're not calling for violence against our government. We're not going to do that. But neither will we obey unlawful ordinances. We will not do that. Because we have a higher authority. And we have Christians. Man, I talk to pastors all the time. Their attendance is down by 50-60%. Why? Because they have weak preachers. And weak Christians. Folks, we've got to stand. How many of you know that our government has lied to us through this COVID thing? Everything that's been said has been a lie. Everything Fauci said was a lie. I hope that man goes to prison. He is going to stand before a righteous and holy God for all the people that are dead because of their lies. Folks, we're going to obey God. Stop listening to the worldly media. If you do listen to them, listen to it through the lens of scriptures. I don't know how you listen through your eyes, but listen through the word of God. Amen? Okay. Somebody's going to leave here. Boy, preacher was mad today. Yes! Marriage and human sexuality. This is a change uh, from the one that we handed out before. It was marriage. We put slash human sexuality. Number one, we believe that the only scriptural marriage is the joining of one naturally born biological man with one naturally born biological woman for life. Can we be any clearer? You understand that insanity has taken over the world. You're not loving someone by telling them their psychosis is real. I want you all to call me your majesty. I am the queen of England. We believe that God has commanded that no intimate sexual activity be engaged in outside of marriage between one naturally born biological male and one naturally born biological female. We believe that any form of homosexuality, lesbianism, bisexuality, bestiality, incest, fornication, adultery, and pornography are sinful perversions of God's, of God's original intent. I'm sorry, perversions of God's original intent of God's gift of sex. We believe that God disapproves of and forbids any attempt to alter one's gender by surgery or appearance. Ladies, it's wrong for you to look like a man. Men, it's wrong for you to look like a woman. That's very clear in Scripture. It's very clear. Q. Boy, that's for all the conspiracy people. Family relationships. 
We believe that men and women are spiritually equal in positions before God, but that God has ordained distinct and separate spiritual functions for men and women in the home and the church. The husband is to be the head of the wife and home, and men are to be the leaders, pastors, and deacons of the church. Accordingly, only men are eligible for licensure and ordination by the church. Amen? We believe that God has ordained the family as the foundational institution of human society. The husband is to love his wife as Christ loves the church. The wife is to submit herself to the scriptural headship of her husband as the church submits to the headship of Christ. Children are to obey their parents. Fathers are to bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. This is accomplished by biblical instruction, consistent example, and appropriate discipline. Corporal discipline is both biblical and necessary. That is spanking. Amen? I just don't like that. Well, then you don't believe God. If that's who you are, if you say, I just, don't, I just don't think that that's right, well, then you're saying that God's a liar. Man, it got real quiet in here. You're saying that God's a liar if you're saying that you don't think that's right. Amen. Divorce and remarriage. We believe that God disapproves of divorce and intends marriage to last until the death of one of the spouses. Can I get an amen there? You understand that our laws allowing for no-fault divorce is undermining human society. When you enter into a contract before God and before the state, what you're saying is, I commit for life before God and before our society until I don't want to anymore. How many of you think that a society can stand? You can't. You can't. Divorce and remarriage is regarded as adultery, except on the grounds of fornication. You understand the Bible says, save for the cause of fornication. Now, how many of you know that God can forgive that and mend a marriage when there's adultery? Right? But if the, if the one party wants to leave and live in adultery, the other party is free to divorce and remarry, according to the Word of God. There is a qualifier, and I had tried to word it in the one that I handed out, but it caused confusion, so I removed it. But I still want to explain it. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 7. I don't want to be a preacher that tries to take the easy way out of everything. I want to be biblical. So 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Look, look at what it says in verse 11 or verse 10. And unto the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, let not the wife depart from her husband. And if she depart, let her remain unmarried, or be reconciled to her husband, and let not the wife put away, I'm sorry, let not the husband put away his wife. So what it's saying is if your wife leaves you, that wife is not supposed to remarry, and the goal is reconciliation. How many of you can see that's what it's, that's what it's saying, all right? But to the rest speak I, not the Lord, if any brother hath a wife that believeth not, and she be pleased to dwell with him, let him not put her away. Man, there are so many couples where one party is married and the other is not. That's not a reason for divorce. That's what the Bible is saying. All right? And so look at what it says. Verse 14, For the unbelieving husband is sanctified by the wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified by the husband. Else were your children unclean, but now are they holy. That's saying that the, that the marriage, since one of you is saved, that the marriage is still just and right. Verse 15. But if the unbelieving depart, let him depart. 
A brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God hath called us to peace. So if, let's say that Laura left me because she hates the faith. She hates Christianity. She hates the ministry. I believe that this is teaching that I would be free. And she goes and remarries. There's no hope for reconciliation that I'm free to marry. And this is going to be, this is unorthodox. I believe free to minister because they've left for the ministry's sake. That's what I believe. That's my belief. I couldn't find a way to put that into the Constitution. And so it's not there. It's not there. But I want you to know that that's my position. Can I give you an example that you all are familiar with? I would have no problem with Nathan Brynick being with us. He has preached here. Are you all following what I'm talking about here? No. I don't have time. All right, let's go on. Abortion. We believe that human life begins at conception and that the unborn child is a living human being. Abortion constitutes the unjustified, unexcused taking of unborn human life. (coughs) Abortion is murder. We reject any teaching that abortions of pregnancies due to rape, incest, birth defects, gender selection, birth or population control, or the physical or mental well-being of the mother are acceptable. That's our position. Euthanasia. We believe that the direct taking of an innocent human life is a moral evil regardless of the intention. Life is a gift of God and must be respected from conception until natural death. Thus we believe that an act or omission which of itself or by intention causes death in order to eliminate suffering, especially when ordered by the state, constitutes murder a murder contrary to the will of God. Important statement right here. Discontinuing medical procedures that are extraordinary or disproportionate to the expected outcome can be a legitimate refusal of overzealous treatment. So here's what we're saying. We are not involved in the decision that you and your wife, your family make about extraordinary measures in the hospital. That's not what we're talking about. That's between you and God. Do you all understand what I'm saying here? Um, what we're saying is we will not endorse any law, any state or religious position that gives someone authority to decide when you live and die. That's what we're talking about. We don't want forced sterilizations. We don't want forced euthanasia. We don't want handicapped people killed. We don't want the government to decide when someone's life is over. Amen? That's what that's about. Okay. All right. I think I will finish the rest of that this evening. How many of you have had enough for one day? Let's all stand together. Unusual church service. This uh, going through our statement of faith, it's an unusual time at Grace Baptist. But this is who we are. Amen? I don't know. That was weak. I'll start over. I'll threaten you. Isn't it wonderful that we can know what we believe? And some of the more specific language in the statement of faith, uh, one, of the, one of our articles is that the pastor sets the doctrine. You know, that's because that's my job. And so some of the more detailed stuff, it's there for a reason. Some of those words that are there that sometimes people don't understand, they're there to combat something that might try to come in. So that's, that's what we're doing with those things. You know, nothing's more important than whether or not you're saved. Amen. I've talked about Catholics today and Anglicans and Baptists, and I've talked about it. None of that has anything to do with you going to heaven. The only thing that will take you to heaven is the blood of Jesus Christ 
in his death, burial, and resurrection. Without his resurrection, his blood would be meaningless. But because he rose from the dead, that proves that his blood can cleanse us from all sin. Are you born again? Do you know Christ as your Savior? Here's another question, though. Don't raise your hand. But how many of you, some of the things that I've discussed, you didn't know? Well, these are basic, fundamental, foundational doctrines. If you don't know these things, you really need to get involved in discipleship. There's a card in the, in the seat in front of you. Sign up for discipleship. We have trained teachers that can take you through the Word of God. It's vital that you do that, but the most important thing is that you're born again. The other thing is, if you have not joined Grace Baptist Church, we really want you to. And, man, if, I, if it was me and I started going to a church, it would be quite a while before I joined. I don't expect somebody to walk in and say, you're the best. I want to be with you. No, you got to check us out. That's the wise thing to do. But if you've been here for a while and you agree with us doctrinally, just jump in. We need you. Amen? We need you. But remember, we're not joining you. You're joining us. This is what we believe. This is who we are. And you can join either by transfer of letter from a church of like faith and practice, a church that believes the way that we do. Or you can talk to us and we'll get you baptized and you'll say, I believe. I, I agree with this church. This is who I am. This is what we're doing. That's what we want. Amen, Grace Baptist? And then we're going to close this thing. We're going to take this church constitution and put it in a drawer. And it'll only be there for when Wade New causes trouble. And we're going to get and do ministry. Amen? Man, I can't wait until next Sunday. I'm going to te start teaching how to study the Bible. It's, it's revolutionary. I can't wait. But right now, the most important thing is, are you saved? If you're not saved, get saved. If you're not grounded in the faith, let's get grounded in the faith. And let's us as a church move ahead to the glory of God. Amen?